Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. Boing. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me. Fine. How you doing? You have a great show. I'm a big fan. Boing. So what, what, what seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead, and he's in the, in the crackle. Charbono. It's all about the Charbono, dude. Succulent fish. What? He ate two feet for wiener. Delicious, I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seed. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. Top men. All right, welcome aboard to the second hour. Hey, now. It's the Barbecue Central Show. We talk about live fire stuff. Why not? It's fun and exciting. Sometimes it's frivolous, fun and frivolity. Email right off the bat from Alan. Hey, Greg, for a few weeks, I have not been able to listen to your live shows. I'm not on Facebook. What? I can get the video on Facebook using a desktop. I can't get the video on Facebook using a phone or tablet. Your internet radio stream is broken. You have two tune-in accounts using your logo. Neither work. One plays LA Talk Radio. The other doesn't work. Hope you get back on YouTube. Alan. Wow, Alan. That's a lot to unpack. Let's go ahead and try best we can. Uh, Facebook, you can get the video using Facebook desktop. All right. Number one, that's good. Number two, I can't get the video on Facebook using a phone or tablet. That's weird because I can watch the phone on my Android device on Facebook after the fact, archive the video without any issue. The internet radio stream is not broken. Oh, wait a second. What is going on here? Source card. Well, perhaps I have uh, fixed it now. It, indeed, it was Uh-oh, broken. Wow. Like um, um, this second, it was broken, but I fixed that. I didn't have the right sound card picked. I apologize for that. Uh, you won't notice that in the podcast feed because it is always recording properly, but streaming out to tune in, the internet radio stream was broken. Now, here's the key for the internet radio stream. This is where it starts to get convoluted. If you use a computer to go to tune in or link to the live stream on a computer, it's not going to work. There's some HTML5 thing. It's a bunch of BS, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to get into it. However, if you use your smart device, this has been proven and tested by me, Android or uh, your iPhone. If you go to my website through that, and then you click on the audio stream through your phone, the audio stream plays no problem. So you can hook it up to a Bluetooth speaker or your car speakers or whatever, and you're off and running. So that is through TuneIn, and that does work. So hopefully that helps you a little bit, Alan, but I appreciate you uh, coming in and giving me some of that feedback. Once again, you can follow me socially at BBQ Central Show on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok slash BBQ Central Show on Facebook, where hopefully you're getting this live video feed. And I can tell some of you are getting it because I can see the chat. Meathead is now throwing down with some of you in the chat, as I can see. So 
uh, have fun fighting with Meathead. He is uh, very feisty. I advise you to take care, please. Please take care. You never know what you're going to get with Meathead. Uh, Still to come on this show, Terrell Miller in just a few short moments, and then Emily Park to close out the show. Coming up on the best moments of the Barbecue Central show in 10 minutes or less this Friday, you can find episode 137, taking you back to August 7th, 2012. And for the second week in a row, we will keep with the competition barbecue roundtable. This time, it's the chicken version. That's right. I want to know how far you guys go back and what names ring what bells. Okay. Bob Roberts from Two Old Men in a Grill was a member of this forum. Dennis Keck of Four Smoking Butts was a member of this forum. And Dan McGrath from Three Eyes Barbecue, which I believe the team has last year just recently called it a career. Very successful, by the way. So those were three of the top chicken cooks uh, eight years ago. Bob Roberts, Dennis Keck, and... Dan McGrath. It was the first, within this episode, it was the first time I had ever heard of something called Smart Chicken, which over the years now has become the standard. I can find it in my local Heinen's, which is uh, two miles up the road from me, but had never heard about it until August 7th, 2012. Also, let me remind you, if there is a segment or a guest that you have a special feeling toward or that you want to hear again, email John. He's the executive producer of The Best Moment Show. And he'll do his best to meet your expectations. So make sure you subscribe to the show via podcast. So not only can you get the show replays Wednesday, Thursday, you also get the best of show on Friday. That's the way you do it. All right. We will uh, now start to ramp back up on the clock as we get ready to get Terrell Miller here on the show. I do have a caviar take that I have been waiting to get to here recently so much like the banana peel take remember the banana peel took four months to get to four months I don't think the caviar take will take four months but you never know as we had mentioned at the close of the first hour pits and spits they are also in the pellet cooker game I'll mention that here in a second but since 1983, Pits and Spits has been handcrafting smokers and grills in Houston, Texas. In that time, they've been able to establish themselves as one of the premier brands and high-quality offsets. And more recently, Pellet Grills. Pits and Spits sets itself apart by using heavy 7- and 10-gauge steel in every cooker. Fully welded construction that you can feel when you use it. And a 304 stainless roll-top lid on the front shelf of every single smoker. Why does that matter? Well... By using higher quality materials, pits and spit smokers reach and maintain temperatures, allowing you to worry more about the meat than the heat. By providing fully welded smokers, you now don't have to worry about grease or smoke leaking out of the barrel and about the grill rattling apart as you move it through the backyard. And by using 304 stainless steel, you're getting an heirloom quality product that you'll be able to pass down for generations. Now, where some companies focus on being the low cost provider, pits and spits focuses on craftsmanship. And using quality materials. Are there cheaper ways to make these cookers? Yes, but they don't like tack welds, cheap stainless, and electronics that you can't trust. Having an in-house manufacturing gives them complete control over the design and standards. 
It's not something you find in products that are brought in from overseas. Their steel suppliers supply materials to be used in some of the harshest environments, so you know they're going to perform in all conditions no matter where you are in the country. And the controllers made here right in the USA, so they have unimpeded transparency into their programming. Here's the bottom line. Pits and Spits has a dealer network across the country. If there isn't one close to you, feel free to give them a call at 844-650-6250. That's 844-650-6250. Whether you're a backyard grill master looking to cook steaks for the family or a competition team looking to smoke 50 racks of ribs, Pits and Spits has a product for you. You can check them out at pitsandspits.com, all spelled out, or see their pits in the wild across their social media handles at Pits and Spits. That is also spelled out, at Pits and Spits. Terrell Miller, first-time guest, coming up. Stick around. We'll be right back. Monthly visits from a killer hog, a cooking guy, a man named Meathead, the author of Barbecue Bible, a grill girl, a bristly barbecue journalist, and the male feasance of the barbecue world known as the Embedded Correspondence. Only found right here on the Barbecue Central Show. All right, this portion of the show being brought to you by Pit Barrel Cooker. The most unbelievable outdoor cooking device on the planet. Currently available in two different sizes with a host of accessories. Whether you're a beginner or professional, definitely a cooker you want to add to the arsenal. Visit pitbarrelcooker.com and tell them the Barbecue Central Show sent you. They're supposed to be that the biggest size yet. The uh, Pit Barrel XL or the PBX or whatever they were calling it earlier in the year. Very exciting. So tell everybody over at the Pit Barrel I said hi and that I asked you to get over there. Now, I get asked quite a bit about my non-interest in competition cooking. If you're a fan of the show, you have heard why I don't get down, but why I love to talk about the folks who do it. One of the reasons is because of the gray areas of rules. For instance, garnish in KCBS or in the case of this interview, what judges' expectations are versus what the rules say should be taken into account. Joining me tonight, an incredibly accomplished live fire cook, food sport judge, KCBS judge, SCA judge and rep, and the list goes on. We welcome first-timer to the show, Terrell Miller. Hey, Terrell. Hello. Hey. How are you? I'm good. Great. Very excited to talk with you, and uh, appreciate you making time here for the show. So before we get into... Uh, the topic of uh, grill marks and all this other stuff here this evening, <laughs> and a bunch of other stuff, by the way, Terrell. Uh, you have a, a tremendous background. I was listening to you on the Pitmasters podcast, and it was uh, very inspiring and very impressive uh, for how long you've been in this game and in whatever fashion you have been in this game. So if you could tell us a little bit about yourself personally, professionally, and uh, where you're stationed out of and what drew you into the live fire world. Sure. Um, I have been, well, first of all, I'm from Utah, um, north of Salt Lake City in a small place called West Haven, and I have been pretty heavily involved with food sport for, since about 1999. My husband and I started competing in Dutch oven competitions. We won the World Dutch Oven um, Competition in 2001. And after that, we went on to run the world championship. I created and ran 
a competition called the Cast Iron Chefs Challenge. And also in that time, I certified as a KCBS judge and started getting involved with the World Food Championships judging. And that has segued a little bit into I'm now the head judge and judge coordinator for the World Food Championships. I've been involved with them for every year they've been around except the very first year. And I also now I'm involved with SCA. I'm in the SCA rep for Utah. And I teach both judging classes for World Foods and judging classes for SCA. Don't teach classes for KCBS, but still judge for them. But um, And I also compete in food sport for Food Network and other things like that. It's a passion. It's a hobby. I love being involved with it. And the friends you make and the friends you meet are amazing and are lifelong friends. And we're from all walks of life. And it's great. I love it. So I've been pretty heavily involved for quite a while now. Tara Miller joining me here on the show. Uh, Terrell, um, as you had mentioned, you're uh, probably one of the best uh, Dutch oven cooks out there and, and have been for some time. In fact, uh, Bobby Flay had done a television show or something along the Food Networks with you and then come back to you and said that the, was it the pastries or uh, uh, cream puffs or something that you were doing in cream there? Puffs. Yeah, they, they were like yeah, the, the best thing that he's ever had. And it, it's even, I guess what people don't take into account is how much more difficult it is to have that come out of a Dutch oven where you don't even notice it's coming out of a Dutch oven. Like, that's the difficult part. Right. Right. Yeah. We were really lucky to film Food Nation with Bobby Flay right after we won the world championships. And we won that with almond uh, strawberry cream puffs with an almond pastry cream. And he was very gracious. He didn't have to come back later. And, you know, we filmed our segment and he came back and told me, how much he loved my cream puffs. They were better than even some of his sous chefs have done, and he was amazed that we could do them in the Dutch oven. You know, we kind of explained to him, my husband created these little lid lifters to because for a cream puff, you need it to puff. You've got to get rid of that moisture. So it elevated the lid just enough to allow the moisture to escape. Traditionally, most people just kind of stuck a wooden spoon in to, to lift that lid, and we wanted it a little bit um, more stable than that, so we created those. And he was just gracious about it. He was really nice, and, you know, he said, I'm just amazed in a Dutch oven you did this, and my sous chefs have a hard time in an oven. Um, how do you find Bobby Flay? I think he gets a bit of a bad rap for being some kind of a bag. Maybe it's because he's from New York City or he's got that New York City <laughs> vibe, but how did you find him in person? He was so awesome. And I think it's because it's a persona that they like to see. He's really good. He's good at what he does, and he's confident. He was, could not have been kinder or more gracious to us. Um, we were surprised at how willing he was to come and talk to us and be friendly. He didn't just come, film the, film the segment, and then get back in his car and leave. He came and talked to us. He was a really nice guy. Uh, Terrell, how do you, um, or, or generally speaking, from a judge's standpoint, uh, do you feel that judges just across the board, regardless whether we're talking SCA or KCBS or World Food Championships, you know, whatever, do you think that judges are summarily dumped on across the board by and large? Absolutely. I think that judges are blamed for people <laughs> not winning, when in reality, that does happen sometimes. There are bad judges. There are good judges. It's just no different than competitors and good competitors. I think, though, that 
we take the brunt of it in that if someone doesn't move on, they're going to blame a judge. They're not going to look at themselves and say, oh, I could have done better. I screwed up. You know, they're going to look and say, oh, the judges weren't kind to me. The judges, you know, were rough on me type of thing. And and I'll be honest, I've judged with people who are are hard judges. They're tougher. In the classes that I teach, you know, I try to explain, you know, you don't compare them to what you think you do. You don't compare, you know, you've got to judge those people as fairly as possible and in the environment that they're cooking in. And I think that that makes a better judge who understands the competitor side of it as well. From the organizations and the sanctioning bodies that you have had experience at, who's doing it right the best? Um, I actually, I think SCA or World Foods, I'm, I mean, and I don't want to bag on KCBS. Oh, certainly because, not. But I think that, I think they are very rigid. I think KCBS is more rigid than they need to be. They're more about the rules. I think SCA is fair, very, very fair. And I've really enjoyed being part of them. And World Foods, it's all about judge that dish on its own merit you know, give it its points. And if you think it deserves tens all the way or nines or whatever, give it to them to begin with. Don't, don't keep your points and don't hold them back for the next one. And that's also how SCA is. I think, um, I, I actually prefer judging SCA or judging world foods. Honestly, I enjoy barbecue. So I'm going to take every opportunity to go judge KCBS, especially since I'm not a rep for them. So I don't, have the opportunity to run a competition where I can, you know, run the other two. But I, I would say SCA and World Foods are pretty close to being pretty good at judging right now. Aside from being rigid, because uh, KCBS does get a lot of flack for the judging, I think there is a convenient leave out of what we would call angel judging. Nobody seems to have a problem when their scores are up perhaps more than they deserve to be, but they always seem to find the tables of death that are causing them from walking the stage or uh, going away for that grand championship. So are there, should they uh, perhaps incorporate something more along the lines of what Texas does in competitive barbecue, where it's more of a people's choice type of a thing, or do you need to have some type of a certification in order to set apart uh, in order to, to make it seem a bit more professional, I guess, is a, a term to use. Right, right. Well, I, I'm going to give you an example. Ribs are something right there that is the difference in, in personal opinion and, and choice, you know, um, public's choice or whatever. I can't remember what you just called it. The, people's um, choice. Yeah, people's choice. Anyway, for me, I love ribs. They're my favorite dish in barbecue. However, at home... I love them falling off the bone. At KCBS, they would get really marked badly for mm-hmm. falling off the bone. You know, it's the different, the different guidelines that they've got. It's like, who decided that ribs that have a tug are better than those that fall off the bone? They could have just as good a flavor, just, but, but because they fall off the bone, they're, they're never going to win type of thing because they're marked down because of falling off the bone type of thing. So, you know, for me, that's what I see. It's like, okay, I'm, I want to be able to judge this dish on how well it's cooked, how, how well I think it's cooked as a judge. If I think it's cooked, um, overcooked because it's falling off the bone, great. But their parameters are, if it's falling off the bone, you have to do it. You know, you have to judge it down because it's not cooked correctly. I guess I'm, who who decided that that was the way it was cooked correctly, you know? 
Well, I think if you went to a more of a people's choice scoring, anybody that did the proper rib would probably suffer in that scoring because by and large, the general public is more of a consumer of uh, meat mush or at least a fall off the bone type of rib. So certainly there's a, a weird dichotomy that's going on there, no doubt. Um, it's true. Let's dig into this uh, right off the bat here. So uh, and then we can push it aside. I was listening to the Pitmasters podcast. This was their June 4th episode. And uh, the whole episode was great. Uh, and again, if you want a, a deeper background on Terrell, then go over to the Pitmasters podcast and listen to it. Uh, the audio was great. You guys must have been in the in the same room or maybe it was a really good Zoom connection, whatever. So as a host of a show, I appreciated the audio fidelity. But you guys were talking uh, quite a bit and, and a number of different times about the SCA. And there was a few different portions. There is a piece of sound that I want to run back at you to get your opinion on uh, maybe a month or two away from it. But the first part was talking about medium, cooking a steak to medium. And I just wanted to kind of re-get your take on that and, and why you think it's important for SEA. Because I do think that there's a lot of people that think that medium rare is the best way to eat steak. But I guess like you were just talking about ribs, fall off the bone is more your palate, but you have to cook it one way for competition. Why is medium the better capture for a competition steak? Because to cook a steak to medium takes more skill. To cook a, a steak over or to cook a steak medium rare is easier to do, but to have a perfect medium, knowing when to pull it off, let it sit, knowing that it's going to sit for a minute before it gets to the judge or two minutes, you have to be more skilled to have that perfect medium. And I think that that is what competition is about is showing skill. So I think that's why Brett and Ken came up with that guideline is because Anybody can cook a medium rare or a rare steak. Anybody really can cook a well steak, but to cook a medium, you have to have some skill. Uh, all right. And you prefer medium rare, though, at home? <laughs> I do. All right. But my husband prefers medium well. Well, I got to tell you, um, we've, lo- we've had a long-standing joke here in my house where uh, anything past medium is a hard no from me. And I've, you know, I, it took me 20 years to back my wife down from a household of well done to now where she's a medium rare plus to a medium. And if it's a little under, she's, she will actually eat it now. It's taken a long decades, really. And, but my kids had some friends over over the weekend and, you know, two of them wanted it medium well. And inside I'm crying and dying, but who am I to sit here and tell them I'm not going to do that for you? You're going to do it my way, blah, blah, blah. So I relent and cook them to medium well. But then we also offer them some uh, different temperature steaks to see where their mind is at. And we start to try and walk them back to more medium and medium rare over time. But it's just the way it is. Now, uh, let's go ahead and uh, play. I'm going to play a sound bite for you, and then I'm going to come back and get your reaction. Again, this was on the Pitmasters podcast, and this was on their June. Oh, dear. I just had it. June 4th episode. All right. So uh, listen to this. And I do like grill marks. I, I wouldn't dock you probably. Well, no, I might. I like grill marks. I think a steak needs grill marks. That's an interesting question right? because if mm-hmm. yep. I, I love grill marks too, yeah. but I like to sear a steak. And I think the taste a, of a seared, cast iron. Yeah. Yeah. a seared steak in cast iron is so amazing. Good. Do you yeah. think that would do well? Um, it would do really, really well on taste. I'm not so sure what they, I think that 
every judge in SCA has kind of got into their mind that it needs grill marks, yeah. that it's important. I'm okay if the grill marks aren't like deep, you know, dark black grill marks, you know, but that there's some grill marks on there. So I'm running my morning 5K listening. This is when I listen to all the barbecue podcasts <laughs> early in the morning when I'm running. And uh, part of me is going, wow, here we have a rep and a judge of SCA who is candidly letting it all hang out there. And I absolutely love it. And then the other half of me is going, this is exactly why I would never fucking get into competition cooking because humans are humans and we like what we like. And it is so hard to not let some type of bias get in or creep in. And as you said, you like grill marks and you right. you don't want to score down, but you're being honest and saying, you know what, I I probably would score down. So uh, I have this incredible argument with myself of going, well, why does it even matter? I get eating with your eyes first, this and that. But to me, in the beginning, the SEA was something that was going to break the mold of uh, you can just go out, show up, cook it the way you want. And if it looks decent, but it tastes great then you really have a good chance at winning. And my fear has been over the last year or two, it's got to be this kind of a cooker. It's got to be this kind of charcoal. And it has to look like this. Now it has to look round. It doesn't even look like a steak the majority of time. You're tying it with string. It's all competition stuff. I get it. But uh, the, the grill marks is something that I've always worried about. And it seems like it's if that is the expectation, then why would any of the competitors not do that and put themselves at a potential disadvantage in the judging time. I think after that podcast, it, it definitely caused a controversy. Even here in Utah, it caused it because at one of our next competitions in um, at, at Steel Days in Lehigh, Utah, um, the team that won, it actually didn't have grill marks. It was pan-seared. Hmm. And I started teaching in my class I realized what I'd said after I, I went back and listened and I thought, you know what? In the rules, it doesn't have to have grill marks. But me, personally, in my mind, it was always a, a steak looks awesome with grill marks. Even when you go out for a steak at a fancy restaurant, those grill marks you know, are important. Right. They don't add a whole heck of a lot. And maybe a little flavor, not a ton, but you know, it is about appearance. And I, I realized, so in the next class that I taught, the next SCA class, we touched on that. We talked about the fact that they don't have to have grill marks, that it's okay if they don't. It, does, it, does the seared steak look amazing? Does it look brown and, and even? And I think that helped my judges learn for the next competition. You know, I think that my teams were more appreciative of that fact, too, because when a team won that was pan-seared and they, they mentioned it, you know, when they went up to accept their, you know, first, you know, they were like, yeah, and it was pan-seared type of thing. I think that that maybe helped a little bit with that, that hmm. stereotype or that impression in a judge's mind that it was important. And I'm guilty. I will fully admit it that, um, and I said that, and you know, when I went back and listened, I was just like, Oh man, you know, as a judge, we need to be impartial, but you said it, our own thoughts and prejudices sometimes seep in yeah. and we need to work really hard at them not seeping in too far. So I did say on it that, you know, 
maybe I would mark it down, but I think that I would mark it down if it was so black that those grow. I think grow mark is, is a happy, you know, you've got a fine line. You can be, have too much of a grow mark in my opinion. You don't have, but I probably one of the best steaks I've ever had is pan seared in a cast iron skillet because cast iron is amazing. I mean, that's where I got my start, and I will forever and always say that a Dutch oven is probably the best food you will ever eat, you know, is out of that cast iron, and that's the same for a steak. Now, as to the roundness of the steak or any of that... um, Evolution of the sport? Yeah, (laughs) it is, and it's the same with Dutch oven. So when we competed in Dutch oven, we cooked filet mignon, a Merlot and mushroom sauce. Mm. We cooked those strawberry cream puffs with an almond pastry cream. We cooked a whole wheat bread that looked like a flour. That's not your backyard Dutch oven cooking. And there are diehards who think Dutch oven competition shouldn't be where we won. It should be backyard. You know, it's always going to have that, that difference of opinion, but we could go compete at world foods with what we cooked at the Dutch oven world, you know, Dutch oven world championships, we could go and compete against chefs, not saying our skill, but I'm saying our dishes, they were that quality of that kind of thing. And I think that that's what we were aiming for and the purpose why we did it. I think that's what competitive sports is about. It's always pushing yourself to do better, to work harder, to learn new things. And that's whether it's steak, whether it's barbecue, whether it's, you know, world foods, all those 10 categories, I think that that's the important part of competition. But competition is not for everyone. My husband graciously competed with me. We won. He's done. He has no desire to compete <laughs> ever again. Well, uh, it's like George I, Costanza says, you got to go again, out on the yeah. high note, right? You go out on the high note. Oh, you come back and you win again, and that's even a bigger high note. Come on. <laughs> right. I get there are I, just some people who are competitors and some who aren't, and that's okay. Tara, one last question before I let you go, and I appreciate the time. Uh, your expectation of the 2020 World Food Championships taking place in Dallas this year? Uh, can I say I'm praying it'll happen? I'm worried it won't. I mean, Mike McLeod is a smart, wise man. He is going to make the best choice possible. I know drop dead date for deciding is September 1st. Um, you know, we just don't know right now we are dependent on Texas and how Texas is doing. You know, I mean, final table just finished this past weekend in Indianapolis. It was rescheduled from May, you know, and, it's being broadcast October 3rd and you know, we're hoping it will happen. I just don't, I, I mean, I can't say, I don't know. Are you 50, 50 or 40, 60 um, or where are you at? Uh, I'm not holding it against uh, you here, of course. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm the way I look, I, what I believe in what I see in Texas <laughs> is different, you know, <laughs> yeah. so we won't go there. Um, but am I hoping, I'm hoping that, you know, 90, 100% that we're going to do it. Am I worried we're not? Yeah, I'm, I'm 50% worried we're not because of the Dallas mayor, you know. Right now, I think they're only allowing 25 people, twenty you know, 25 people in a group right now. Well, World Foods sees thousands and thousands yeah. come through our gates. You know, I, I just don't know. I know even though we're bending over backwards, to, you know, do everything possible to have, you know, that social distancing in the judges room, to have that, you know, amongst the teams, to have that 
security and safety of masks and things like that. I just don't know if in that environment, if it will happen. But I have faith in Mike McLeod and his team. So I'm hoping that, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll all see. Right. in September. Well, we will we'll we will see what happens. We're talking with Terrell Miller. Terrell, I appreciate you coming on tonight and letting us get to know you a little bit, talking about the grill stuff. And then I would love to have you back on the show, talk about world foods and Dutch oven cooking and all that other stuff. But uh, once again, really appreciate Anytime. you coming on. All right. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks. There have she is. Terrell Miller right there owning it, which I completely appreciate. Walking it back a little bit, but owning it. No doubt. I could hear her in her voice. She's like, oh, God, she's going to run the sound. But to her credit, going back and reteaching that class, you get, uh, I believe she said it was a first place stake in the next cook-off. It was actually a second place stake, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Rusty Monson would take credit for coaching whoever cooked that stake, I believe. We're not going to question that. But perhaps going back after hearing it, then going back in and reteaching, letting those judges be a little bit open-minded about not seeing grill marks and then scoring up or down. Green Mountain Grills has some of the best pellet cookers out there on the market today. Choice and a prime line. If you want to save a couple bucks, like Meathead and I were talking about in the first hour, if you don't need the Wi-Fi or all that tech, you can save a couple hundred bucks and get the Jim Bowie or Daniel Boone choice line. You can also get the prime line because maybe you do want some tech maybe you do want some peeking windows on the main cooking chamber on the pellet hopper maybe you want a little bit more robust build on the chassis all that stuff well you could pay a couple hundred bucks more and get all that stuff go to greenmountaingrills.com and see where all their dealers are because they run through dealers you can go there see the products in person get all the training and advice that you need so when you get it home you can be successful right out of the box No returns, no buyer's remorse. Jason Baker and the gang out there, not into that. That's why they do the dealer method. Go to GreenMountainGrills.com. That's GreenMountainGrills.com. Check out all the cookers. I don't know if we're going to have any kind of tailgating situation here coming up as the Big Ten and Pac-10 have all canceled fall sports, including football. But maybe you want to do your own tailgating thing in your backyard. Davy Crockett is a pellet cooker that you want to take a look at. They got pellets, they got sauces, they got rubs, they got all the good stuff. Pizza oven insert for the Jim Bowie and the Daniel Boone. You know I'm going to get down on that. This weekend, I am putting together my prime cooker, Daniel Boone, believe it or not. I will make pictures. I will make pictures. And then I'm going to use it. We're back with Emily Park from the American Royal, the manager at the World Series of Barbecue. Right after this, stick around. We'll be right back. Over 10 years of prolific and unparalleled live fire barbecue and grilling talk. And yes, it's still being done from Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Hey, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by Smithfield throughout the grilling season. 
Look for recipes from well-known pitmasters like Chris Lilly, Darren Worth, Ernest Cervantes, and Chiles Cridlin. With mouth-watering flavor and no artificial ingredients, Smithfield fresh pork is simply some of the finest pork money can buy. Trusted on the World Championship Pitmaster Tour for competitions and at home. Go to smithfield.com. That's smithfield.com. So a week ago, we saw the biggest barbecue contest fall victim to the worldwide pandemic as the American Royal Barbecue Contest was called off for 2020. Here to talk about the decision to cancel manager of the World Series of Barbecue, good friend of this show, of course. We race back to the hotline and welcome in Emily Park. Hey, Emily. Hey there. How are you? I'm doing okay. How about you? Well, okay, and uh, let's go ahead and jump right into it here. You know, in radio talk, there's an old saying, and the hits keep coming. Of course, they're talking about great songs, but in 2020, it means some other great barbecue contest is being canceled or postponed. And as I had mentioned a couple seconds ago, that's what happened this past week for the American Royal, or last Tuesday, I guess. So uh, was there a, a culminating thing that uh, broke the camel's back, or did you just get to a point where uh, things from a uh, prognostication aspect just weren't going to get any better, and you know what you're dealing with from an in uh, an influx of teams, and you're like, oh, my God, it's, it leads to potential nothing but disaster? Um, I think the later it's a little bit more uh, kind of what happened. So um, I'll kind of spill what really sure. happened behind closed doors. Um, so we've been talking about this, I think, like everybody since March. Um, and kind of at that time, we started to pivot our plan. So we were changing the way we were going to do the contest. We started looking at different ways to do judging. Um, we've been meeting with KCBS Weekly. Uh, for, oh my gosh, it feels, it feels like a lifetime, which is great though. Um, but kind of since this all happened and then, um, removing a lot of our public activation and really just seeing what can we do to make it happen. That at the end of the day was the goal. We will do whatever we need to do to make it happen. Well, the last couple weeks, we kind of just cut kept getting hit with the bad news. Like you said, the hits keep on coming. Yeah. And once that list outweighed the positive, we had to make the decision. And I will tell you, it was tough. Um, <laughs> it was heartbreaking, but I, I, at the other side, I mean, I know everyone's kind of dealing with the same thing. Emily Park joining me here on the show, talking about the cancel of the American Royal. Uh, the Memphis in May event had canceled a good while back a week later uh, after Memphis finally canceled because they originally postponed and then canceled. The Jack followed suit. Mm-hmm. On this show, we pontificated the likelihood at that point of the Royal actually taking place and not since there wasn't a quick join to cancel like the rest of the majors were over those past few months in fact one of my embedded correspondents no names please commented (laughs) that he from a very highly credible insider source that he thought the likelihood of the american royal happening was somewhere in the 95 percentile um i thought unfortunately i and my michigan uh, cohort also thought it was there was a zero percent chance and my reasoning <laughs> was i mean we, we can see what's going on but i thought you know the american royal is really trying to figure out a way to make however it would look in 2020 actually happen so it would be like a a flag that you're planning in the competition landscape i mean there are some smaller things that are happening here and there the sea seems to be experiencing some relative success whatever that looks like this year 
but I thought that you guys really wanted to say, hey, um, amongst all of the crap that's going on, the American Royal still happened. Was there any of that mindset going on? Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And not even just to say, like, oh, we are going to get to do it, but also to be like, okay, guys, this worked. Now let's share with all of our friends, you know, share with Memphis and and all the other contests to be like, okay, we've, we've done this and we've done it at a large scale. I mean, that was a huge goal because even looking to next year, you know, we hope we're not in this again, but, you know, there's going to be a point where someone's going to have to have a big contest. We want, everybody wants it. We want it. So yeah, we agree. It was, um, that was definitely part of it. Did KCBS advise you guys on anything specific or did they have criteria that they wanted you guys to also meet and or adhere to or are they uh, you know, pretty invisible as it relates to that kind of stuff as you go through this process of deciding whether you want to keep going or you want to call it uh, uh, quits for 2020? So they were extremely involved. Um hmm. We actually had, I think it was a 17-page document that outlined all of the processes of just judging, just judging. So they're not even thinking of how teams are loading in, loading out, what they're doing when they're not cooking, you know, none of that, but really just judging because our our most important part was you got to make sure that judging happens flawlessly because that's the core of the contest. So we've got to get that figured out. So we had actually prepared those plans with KCBS. That was our weeks and weeks and weeks of going through this. They had been doing some contests. So they have been learning through this and changing course and updating as things change per state. Um, and we definitely worked together on that. And then also with our health officials. So it was, it was a big team that was working to try to do this. Um, but we got a lot of guidance from them as well as just from KCBS um, guidance as well as feedback as well as kind of the good, bad, ugly. It was an open door conversation um, every single time we discussed it. Do you think that other contests should be expecting that kind of feedback from whoever their sanctioning body that they're partnering with is? Should they be? Should the sanctioning body be vocal and say, "Here's what our expectation is"? Because technically. It you know the American Royal it has aside from their sanctioning of judging has nothing to do with them. You guys could maybe decide to hold a non-sanctioned event or say, hey, f everything, we're just going to hold it no matter what, and it, and it, it <laughs> continues to go off. So, should an expectation yeah. from I guess a team and a, a promoter's perspective be that the sanctioning body is is pretty vocal on what their expectation is? Yeah, you know, I think we have a little bit of a unique relationship with KCBS that not all contests have with their sanctioning body is that we've been, we've got growing pains together. So we've been a partner for, I mean, years. I think we're at like 30 years of doing this together. So we kind of came into this with the goal in mind that the American Royal wanted to do this and KCBS wanted to do this. And so we really came in as a force. Um, You know, I would recommend to any contest that need support to lean on their sanctioning body because they know what's going on. They're getting the firsthand feedback from other contests and judges and cooks and everyone. So it's really a good, um, it's a good source. And I also think that if you're getting sanctioned by any sanctioning body, they should really partner with you um, because both are successful at the end of a contest, not just the organizer 
or the company, but both. So um, we're lucky that we have that partnership with them. The IBCA, which uh, International Barbecue Cookers Association down in Texas, uh, has shut down all sanctioning until October 1st. Is that a, a situation where it might be an overreach for a sanctioning body, or does it really depend on you know where the... Obviously, Texas is, is quite a, a hot spot uh, amongst a handful of other locations across the country. So uh, do you look at that and say, hey, they're doing the right thing, or they're a little aggressive, or does it really depend on where you are in the country in order to make that type of decision. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of how we are all dealing with all events and everything right now is that you know, there might be a certain point where you're like, wow, that happened fast. And then you realize that we're canceling events two weeks after. So, you know, I can't fault them for doing that. I think they were probably being proactive and saying, you know, we don't feel comfortable doing this until later in the fall. And maybe it's in order to get more of their kind of ducks in a row. And that's a good thing. You know, they don't want anyone to get sick at the end of this. I mean, I think that's everyone's goal. Yeah. So if that's kind of the, the way that they need to ensure that they are doing their best to ensure everybody's safety, then I respect it. It really is a big, it stinks for anybody down in Texas who was using them. You know, I totally understand that side too. Um, but but I, I understand their decision um, to do that. And and I would tell any contest organizer who lost them as a sanctioning body this year, you know, maybe go through the, the reasons why and see if it is something you want to do with or without them or hold tight and know that 2021 is going to be kind of the most, I'm hoping, this is a very hopeful speech here, the most... Uh, <laughs> exciting barbecue contest year yet <laughs> people are going to be out cooking like crazy <laughs> so that's my hope do you uh, or, or as you were looking at the registration uh, for the royal this year were there a lot of teams or was there really kind of a, a modicum at best and then also mm-hmm. do you is there a date where i don't know if you guys have like a cancel insurance where, you know, by this date you can cancel the event up and then people get refunded or you're not on the, on the hook financially a lot for, for anything. How does that look? Yeah, we actually kind of mapped that out way back in the spring to say, you know, uh, what is the, what's the date of no return? Um, and, and with, with our contest, it being not in our location, um, you know, we have a contract with the Kansas Speedway. Yeah. So we were, that's part of the reason why we were like, well, let's go ahead and give this a shot because um, we have a place to do it. So the date of no return, we was kind of in, in August to us a little bit more. Um, so that was from an internal perspective. But then we really talked to a lot of our, um, our teams as well as our committee members who are also on teams to talk to them about, you know, when is it, when is it a difficult time for a team to find out that it's, they're not having the contest. You know, we, we wanted to ensure that our teams are not financially on the hook booking too much travel. You know, how, when do they start spending money outside of maybe just their registration fees and really planning? So that was part of our timeline. But on our end, we kind of made the stance at the beginning of all of this that if we cancel, um, the teams get 100% of their money back. Mm. No questions asked. That is just the best way to do it. We just didn't feel like it was fair any other way. Um, however, 
we, I think we're at a good point that we were able to cancel and, and go ahead and take care of that for everybody minus, you know, a couple dollar processing fee just to make sure we can get everything, all the transactions in. But um, it was just kind of a stance we decided at the beginning of this. And, and I hope we're never in something like this again. Yep. Um, but, but our teams are, they're kind of the, they're the most important thing that is happening there. So we want to treat them right. Is this a big financial blow for the, I don't know if it's like the, the American Royal in general, is this a big fundraising portion of that whole week or two? Oh yeah, it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> so the barbecue itself, um, we, this is actually as an organization, our largest fundraiser of the entire year. Um, throughout the year, we ho- we host about, I think six um, equestrian shows, a two week livestock show, a youth rodeo, a pro rodeo, um, and, and as many other events as we can. Um, the goal at the end of every year for us is that we raise enough funds to go into our education fund to support um, educating the youth um, about agriculture and kind of where their food comes from and get them really engaged in um, agriculture for their future as well as uh, scholarship funds. So yes, it hurts. (laughs) I will not say it doesn't, um, but we're very hopeful that, you know, like everybody else, we can get this year under our belt and, know that, yeah, this one's going to hurt, but I think next year across the board for all events, it's going to be better. So, you know, I'm hoping that this time next year, you and I are talking about how I'm like, I don't know where to put all the teams. 700 teams are currently registered and we're still two months out. Yeah. 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 I'm hoping that's a conversation, you know, and you had asked me a minute ago how the team registrations were coming in. You know, we were, we were over 400 teams. We were really excited about it. It was great. Um, the thing that kind of started lurking uh, towards closer when we were canceling is a lot of those teams registered extremely hopeful. Um, they registered in May and maybe from their state or even their country, they might not have been allowed to come even if um, we did do it sure. or they were allowed to come, but then they had to self quarantine and maybe their job or just their life doesn't allow for that to happen. Um, so that 400 number kind of, Yes, it was great on paper, um, but we knew that it probably wasn't likely going to be that high at the event, you know, once everything boiled down. Emily Park is joining us talking about the canceling of the American Royal this year in 2020. No big surprise, of course, because everything else is being canceled at this point. But uh, we certainly appreciate you coming on and giving us the inside scoop, as you always do. And we will look forward to uh, what should be a very successful and hugely attended American Royal in 2021. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. The next time we talk, we're only going to talk about positive barbecue information, maybe Hall of Fame stuff. Let's, you know, let's turn into what we celebrate the most. So um, I'm excited for our next conversation. All right. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, There she is, Emily Park. The manager at the World Series of Barbecue, barbecuehalloffame.com, the website, B-A-R-B-E-C-U-E, barbecuehalloffame.com. One more to knock out before we close out the show, the barbecue guru, always believing outdoor cooking should be easy and fun because it can be. You know, Big Bo Quezon uses the monolith. It's got a built-in power draft fan. Did you know about that? Of course you did. If you have a Guru controller already and you're looking for a ceramic cooker that's got a lot of great accessories, then get the Monolith. It's a no-brainer. You can hook that controller right up to the power draft fan. Away you go. Now, if you have a bullet-style smoker or a kettle or some other ceramic cooker 
or you're a fan of some other ceramic cooker, you can still get the Guru controller. Go over to bbqguru.com or call 800-288-GURU and ask them all your questions. Tell them what kind of cooker you got. They'll make sure you're outfitted with exactly what you need to get you up and running right out of the box. Don't forget the two new controllers, the uh, Dyna-Q and the Ultra-Q. That's right. Check them out. Barbecue Guru, longest-running sponsor of the show and continuing to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. We're back to wrap the show right after this. Stick around. Whole packers, full racks, legs and thighs, injecting butts. If you've never heard this before, you might think you found the best Triple X show ever. Let's get back to the most homoerotic host out there today, Craig Rimpey. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by The Smoke Sheet, a great all-in-one resource covering the live fire industry that's released every week from Brian Cooper and Sean Ludwig. BBQNewsletter.com is the place to sign up. That's BBQ Newsletter. Thanks again to Emily Park for talking about what had to be a fairly uncomfortable situation. Yeah. Too bad. But again, John Solberg and I right on the money. Right on the money. You know, I had asked uh, Terrell Miller what her thought was on the World Food Championships. And I think that's going to be a great embedded correspondent take in uh, just two weeks' time as we refire the embedded correspondence. Percentage of World Food Championships actually taking place in Dallas. Hmm? I guess we'll see. And the experts and prognosticators will be out in full force on the fourth week. Guarantee that. All right, let's go ahead and make tracks out of here all the way back in the first hour. Meathead from AmazingRibs.com who has been taken up with somebody in the chat room. I can see it's getting hot and heavy. Apologies are being requested. Apologies given are being denied. That's why I say you should always get in the chat. It's great. Second hour, Terrell Miller. We talked about her entrance into Live Fire background. We talked about grill marks and her comments made on a Pitmasters podcast show recently and what she thinks about it now, which was great. We'll have her back on to talk Dutch Oven Cooking and World Food Championships specifically because obviously that's going to be a hot thing as we see if that actually comes off in 2020 or not. And we close it out with Emily Park from the American Royal. Big show planned for you next week. Stephen Reichlin is in. Sam the Cooking Guy is in, believe it or not. Plenty of other stuff going on. September 11th, 2001, I will never forget. And by the way, I want to wish a special happy birthday to my dad, Bill Rempe, tomorrow, August 12th. Got that in there, too. So again, September 11th, 2001, program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now. Dino Dan from Cypress, California, and you're watching the Barbecue Central Show.